Cool.fm is the perfect station for music lovers who enjoy a mix of adult pop, modern country, and classic hits. Our unique blend of different genres creates an awesome listening experience that you won't find anywhere else. With Cool.fm, you don't have to constantly change stations to hear the music you love. Just download the Live 365 app and start listening to our curated selection of modern adult and country hits, as well as the classics you know and love. So tune in to Cool.fm and start enjoying the best of all your favorite music in one place. Hi there, I am K.M. Warfield and the author of Scales and Stingers, book one of the Heroes of Avax series, coming out from Creative James Media. Yeah, you can find me at kmwarfield.com. There's also Twitter, KM Warfield Books at, or Facebook, KM Warfield Books, Counter Social, KM Warfield Books, and email kmwarfieldbooks at gmail.com. My publisher's website is Creative James Media. And this is Two Geeks Talking, which is a lot of fun. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. And of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We are joined today on this wonderful day with a very talented and creative individual. She's the author of an amazing new series that I happen to have gotten a chance to read, which is truly an incredible book. I'll let her do the justice. Joined by the ever-talented K.M. Warfield, creator of and author of Heroes Avoc Scales and Stingers. How are you doing today? I am doing well. Well, you know, it's not raining in Seattle, so this is good. <laughs> One of the rare five days out of the year where it doesn't rain. It's the strangest thing because our house, I swear we're in a convergence zone. Because you can look out our front window and have bright sunny and turn your head and look out the dining room window and it's pouring down rain. <laughs> oh yeah, no, no, we do get four seasons. It's just a varying degrees of how wet it is. For those that don't know anything about yourself as a creative person, tell us who you are and what you're bringing to Two Geeks Talk. I have been playing Dungeons and Dragons since the original Redbox, if we can date myself there. I think I started playing in junior high, possibly even earlier. Played for everything from first edition to now I am running fifth edition major Star Wars geek. I've always loved fantasy. We have a group of people I play with now. One of our house rules is that you don't just go to like level five or 10 and then, oh, let's start a new adventure. Oh no, you stay until like level 20. We have gone some that by the time the adventure was done, we had one campaign. We were multi-classing just to level up. We were somewhere around level 24 <laughs> equivalent. So that gets interesting. Some of the really fun stuff that you can do, you don't get to like your level 18 or something. So why just restart? And we had one group, well, it was the same people, but we had one campaign going that went a good three years. It wrapped up during the start of the pandemic. We had to finish it out online, which just didn't sit right for me. But a lot of times we have two or three of us that'll DM so that everybody gets to play and everything else. This particular adventure, at one point, one of the characters died. He elected to make himself a new character. And I elected to make a new cleric as well because I had made a war 
domain clerk because we didn't have a tank. And then Ed brought the tank. So we had a tank. We needed something that was a cleric that was more of a healer. So that's when I created Thea. And how the story started was... I got a hold of Matt, who was our DM at the time, and said, hey, I've got an idea of how to bring Thea into the group. Do you mind if I just write it out? And he goes, no, go ahead, write it out, post it to the group. And I did that story. And then I did one to bring Janari, which was Ed's new character, into the game. And then I started doing little stories for the group of expanding on role play that was in the game. And then what really got it going was Ed's job switched his schedule. He couldn't play the same day we were playing. I sent Janari on a side quest. <laughs> I didn't tell him I was doing it. We were like, we knew you were going to be gone for six months. We're going to keep you at level with everybody in the game. And I just set him on a side quest. Once we knew he was coming back, I did something at the end of that that nobody knew I was going to do. And he never really said much about how the game was going or anything. He got to the table and we got Janari back to the game. And he just turned and looked at me. He goes, so Thea, how are things with you? And I was everything I could do not to stand up and start screaming because he bought into the storyline. <laughs> In the series, Chinari will constantly ask the, uh, well, not constantly, but he, he will ask her every now and then, so how are things with you? <laughs> and... At some point in the game, I think Matt and his wife, were Jilly, were leaving, and he just looked at me and goes, you know, this could be a book. And I looked at him, I go, don't tempt me. And he goes, he just smiled, he goes, what's wrong with that? A lot of what's in there, because I keep hearing everyone likes the banter between the characters. That's what happened at the table. It may not be word for word, but... That's how we played off each other. To me, this series is as much me being creative as it is honoring that group and those characters. These are as much my family as they are Thea's. And everyone gave me carte blanche with their characters, which led to a few things they didn't expect to happen. <laughs> but that's where the story went. So, you know, you gotta do these things. <laughs> Out of the time that I've been interviewing on this show, I've had a couple of creative people like yourself that take their D&D campaigns or versions of standalone D&D campaigns, I should say, and turn it into either books like you have or into comic books or everything like that. So I, I love seeing the fact that you're taking what you're passionate about and what you enjoy and you turn it into such an epic tale because that was the one thing I loved. Your character interactions were amazing. The, the tales and the stories that you, the whole arc that you went on was just incredible to see. And we don't really see that much creativity when it comes to fantasy books because the last time I really got into fantasy was Dragonlance way back in the day. So, you know, this was a nice refreshing read through. I always, and I know he was a big influence. I loved David and Lee Edding's work, you know, the Belgarian, the Malorian. And one thing I loved about it is his characters felt like real people. It wasn't, oh, I am the hero. So therefore I shall go off and do these things. It was, why me? That helps readers relate to characters is if they can go, oh, that would be me. There's just so many small things in there that I could draw out of the game. There's one character that you won't meet him till book two. His name is Nat. He was a goblin. I call his race Cabalus, which is Latin for goblin. <laughs> Nat has a very distinctive way of speaking. He speaks third person. It, it's like talking to a three-year-old. Nat, sorry. Nat didn't mean to hurt friend. <laughs> There's one section in book three. And this is not any way a spoiler. They refer to a cat called Purr Purr. Well, we have two cats here. And one of them, he alternates being a sweetheart of a cat and an absolute asshole. 
<laughs> and you have less than 0 0.02 seconds to decide which mood he's going to be in when you're petting him. One day, just out of nowhere, we hear Rob over in the corner going, um, is this normal? And we all look at him, and here is Casper sitting on his lap, front paws up here, going, love me. And we're like, no. So I had to make this little reference in book three about Nat's favorite cat, Purper. <laughs> to me, that's what makes books relatable when you get these little tiny things that they mean more to the people that were in the game, but they make sense when you're reading it and you can actually relate to it as in, just as a reader. Out of all the years that you've been playing D&D &D and the fact that you've now transitioned your games into, into novels, into the series here, what have you learned about D&D &D in all of these years it's been around that has evolved you as a writer? Rules don't matter. Honestly, rules are absolute guidelines. They are not absolute set in stone. There are very few rules as a DM that I like will always adhere to. Granted, one of them is spell slots. You know, some of the very mechanical things. When I'm running, I play very fast and loose. With, I like watching where the players take the characters. To me, that is far more enjoyable than, well, the book says you have to go left, so you're going to go left. Okay, you went right? Okay, let's see what else I can throw at you now. Right now, I'm supposed to be running through Storm King's Thunder, yet we have one character who's a damn fear, whose his mother was pregnant with him, got bit by Strahd, so Strahd is his daddy. <laughs> and we have another one who has no memory of who she is, and she's like, she and I wrote talked back and forth and got some general guidelines on what she was and was not comfortable with because boundaries are important. What she did and didn't want as part of her background. And I've just been slowly coming up with her background and throwing out little things and just watching her reaction at the table when all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, what do you mean that? <laughs> And I'm a total pantser when it comes to writing anyway. When I got Gales and Stingers, I thought I was done. Because it does come to a nice end. And then about two weeks later, I'm like, no, I can't get the characters out of my head. We got to do another one. And so I finished book two. And then I'm like, I'm still not done. As I'm writing book three, I was finishing book three, got my publisher... And they were starting edits on book one. And all of a sudden, something became very important book three that I realized I did not get right in two small sections, one in book one and one in book two. Those things needed to be fixed to make the end make sense. That's the one drawback of being a pantser is you have to, and you're writing more than one book. It's like, oh crap, I have to go fix this. The good thing is I caught it before it was unfixable, but mm -hmm. even my beta readers and stuff, when I'm like, oh crap, this is what I have to do, they're like, Oh crap, we missed it too. <laughs> now, do you want an you want a little secret? Sure. I love secrets. The ebook is available on Amazon right now. This one. We're done with the edits. We're in galleys for book two. It will come out in November, November 7th. And then May of next year is when book three will hit. In terms of being a writer and the fact that you're taking your game and, and bringing it to the the public because now it's now it's available worldwide what is that like for you emotionally is that is it excitement is it fear is it you're bringing something that's personal and you're showcasing it to the world now how is that for you 
It's 50-50. There are days where I just want it out. I want people to be able to read it because I know it's good. I know people can relate to it. It's got an appeal beyond fantasy. The editor I had with Creative James Media, she'd never played D&D. She didn't know what it was. Before she finished the first book, she was emailing my publisher going, before I send this one back to you, you will guarantee in writing I get the rest of the series. (laughs) It's that. And then there's the constant. And I think every creative goes through this. I don't know if it's anxiety or self-doubt or imposter syndrome, but you always have this moment of, okay, I put that out there and now nobody's going to want to read it. And it's going to go nowhere and it's going to flop. It varies. One day I'm like, okay, I can't wait for this. I can't wait for this. Why can't it be now? Why can't it be now? And then it's like, I can wait a while longer. (laughs) (laughs) This is mildly terrifying. (laughs) Yeah, that, that's a common factor with the creative people itself. You know, the, the imposter syndrome is is a real thing. People that attempt something creative and then just give up on it halfway, they, they don't realize it. But once you complete something, once you finish something and you showcase it to other people. My parents did not know how to raise a creative child. They really didn't. There was a whole lot of, oh, that's nice, honey, but you're never going to be good enough for this and why even try and you know by the time i started high school i thought my talent of writing was nothing more than the ability to bullshit my way through an essay on a test and a lot of that was because of what i was hearing at home and then i get around other people and i get around like the people now that i consider my found family my my dnd players the group these are brothers and sisters And they're all like, okay, what happens next? We want to keep going with this. It's a mentality shift that is needed, but I still hear my mom's voice every day of, yeah, well, it's nice that you tried, honey, but can't do anything but try. But you've succeeded. You have a a publisher, you have books out, you have up to issue three in the process of being published. So I think you've succeeded well with that. (laughs) Yeah, now we just got to convince other people to buy it and read it. (laughs) Well, hopefully the show can help a a little bit when it comes to that type of plot. Okay, Uh, I have to ask, since you read it, who was your favorite character? I can't choose. That's... I have to read issues two and three to to really make judgment. Oh, okay. What was an early experience where you learned that language had power? Oh, probably sixth grade. That was the first time that I remember seeing a report card in which the teacher was praising my ability to write and communicate. That was the first positive one. You know, people were mean. Kids were mean. Bullies happen. You you learn that part of words can hurt pretty early. But that was the first time I really felt somebody encourage me to actually embrace being creative. Everyone usually asks, what's the wisest piece of advice or what's the most bullshit piece of advice you've ever received? But what's the second wisest piece of advice you've received that has stuck with you in your career? Not to get bogged down in, especially with writing, whether you've got a passive voice or an aggressive voice or LY adverbs or, you know, all the so-called rules of writing, because 90% of them are subjective. It's how your voice is. I personally love my LY adverbs. (laughs) I don't think they're evil. 
at the end of the day, if the book sold, if you found a publisher or an agent, it's good. It doesn't matter if your voice is overly passive or overly active or go too far into descriptions or not far enough. I mean, look at Robert Jordan. Those He would spend two paragraphs describing the embroidery on a dress. Tolkien spent six months trying to get Frodo to leave the Shire. Yeah, it's, it's subjective. It's those rules, so-called rules are set up as this is what the person who wrote them likes to read. That doesn't mean that's what you like to write. This is uh, overrated, underrated, uh, D&D edition, class edition specifically. And these are just basic classes, but overrated, underrated, and uh, perfectly rated are your, your options. So yeah. let's go with the first class of warrior. Underrated, because every time I hear the class warrior or something, I honestly, my first thought is Conan the Barbarian or something. No, it, when you look at the stats and stuff, it just takes too long to get there. <laughs> they should be hitting harder sooner. <laughs> Granted, most barbarians run around and warriors run around initially in the male equivalent of chainmail bikinis, which to me is also underrated because if that's what you're running around in, how do you have an armor class that high? Which tells me that there's a lot of muscle and everything else there, which then their stats should be reflective of that and their ability should be reflective of that. Yeah, no. <laughs> Overrated, underrated, mage or wizard? Overrated. Only because I'm going to quote something. I think it's Aladdin here. Infinite power, itty bitty living space. And this is not to go against, I have friends that play mages and warlocks and everything else and wizards. They're the exception to this, but a lot of them go in thinking, oh, I'm going to blast everything. And then that's all they do. You know, they just sit there, I'm going to blast. I'm going to, you know, Eldritch blast every round and you get nowhere, you know. Overrated, underrated, cleric. Perfect. But that's my favorite class. So I play clerics almost exclusively. And that's what I play when I run the game because I know them so well that I don't have to. Now, it also depends on the domain they pick because the one I'm playing right now is a shadow domain, not the best domain. Thea was a grave domain. Oh, she could kick butt by the end. She was scary as anything. I had another cleric that was light domain that had an abs swore every other word and she had an attitude and she was in the underdark, walked into a cave, was tired of being in the underdark, didn't have a clue what might be hiding with all this fauna and every mushrooms and everything else great. And she just launched fireball and said, fuck this shit. <laughs> and it just kept spreading. And she quite literally destroyed an entire ecosystem in the Underdark because she was tired of being there. <laughs> so don't piss off the cleric. Don't piss off the cleric. I have a shirt that I, I have that I love that's, I'm the healer. You don't decide who lives, who dies, who tells their story, but I do. So be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Overrated, underrated, bard. That's a hard one because I have friends that play bards that are great. I also know people who play bards that all they, they play as the stereotypical, I'm going to be horny and go after every, seduce everybody, including the dragon. It can be an excellent class. It really depends on who's playing it and what the DM allows at the table and what the table rules are and stuff. So that's one of those iffy classes. 
Overrated, underrated, assassin, or thief? Underrated. You play those right, and they can be more powerful than a paladin and sneaky. Do things that most characters can't do. Of course, if you have a lot of fun, you let them try and unlock the chest that's actually a mimic. <laughs> Not that I've done that before. It's going to say 50-50. That goes horribly wrong. Yeah. Last one here. Overrated, underrated, paladin. Perfect. My friend Ed, who played Janari, he played a paladin, and I have never seen somebody play a class better. He knows how to play a paladin, and because he's not in the game right now, and I keep texting him for advice because my we actually found a Holy Avenger randomly in a treasure chest recently, and my cleric was the only one that had the prerequisite stats to be able to multi-class into paladin. <laughs> and use it. And so all of a sudden I'm texting, holy crap, I'm now a cleric paladin hybrid. Help! Keep going till you get smite. Keep going with that until you get smite and then smite the hell out of everything. <laughs> I've seen one of the best examples how a paladin should be, including being arrogant, son of a bitch. That whole thing of Thea constantly calling him an arrogant prick is right out of the game too. <laughs> Are you going to be showing at any cons? I hope so. We're actually looking at trying to get me a table at Rose City Comic Con in mm -hmm. Portland in September. And we may try me at Emerald City to get me in the writer's block at Emerald City next year. I go there every year. It's at least Saturday and it's high on that list of I really want to be there selling books and be there the whole four days. It's We've got the new convention center now and everything is in one building, flows really well. There's ample bathrooms. The old one where we were before they built this expansion, yeah, finding bathrooms was interesting. I swear it was built in an era before they realized women went to cons. Being an author and, and doing these campaigns, once you wrote it in this series, is this like therapy for you? Does this energize you? Yes, very, very much so. If I can put a character into a situation that I struggle with and I can get them out of it and they can grow from it, so can I. Everyone has one person that inspired them on their path to where they are today. Who was that for you? Nick Pilata. He wrote a series of books. There are more puns in these books than, you know, it's like one of them is called Full Moonster. He introduced me to books that when he first started the books of his that I first read, he just sat in in a gaming group. It wasn't for D&D. I forget which game it was, but he just sat there and scribbled notes and wrote a series off of them. And I'm like, dude, this is like you're sitting in a game. <laughs> Definitely a big influence. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. From a professional standpoint, you are a successful author and you created at least three issues that we know of. I hope you write a ton more because I am a fan of this and I want to see at least 20 or so, not, you know, series come from this particular gaming group that you have and hopefully a lot of offshoots as well too. So professionally you're successful in that regard. Do you consider yourself personally successful? Not yet. When I am making enough money where I don't have to work another job 40 hours a week, then yeah. <laughs> if I can start paying bills with royalties, then yeah. Right now, no. You know, tell me I get, you know, having my publisher going, hey, uh, Emerald City Comic Con, New York City Comic Con, and San Diego Comic Con, I'll want you to come do a, a panel. 
then I will be hyperventilating for a few months and going, okay, now I'm maybe I'm successful. At the same time, I'll be like, holy crap, why do they want me? (laughs) (laughs) The reverse of success is failure. How do you deal with your failures? I learn from them. I may cry a little, throw a few fits. It's only a failure if you don't learn from it. If you don't grow, if you can't go, this is where I mucked it up and go better. To me, part of me just, I finished one, let alone all three books that I have people wanting to read them, that I have a publisher that wanted to publish them. That alone is when I think, okay, sales suck. To my friends that played in that game, they're immortal. To them, I'm never going to be a failure because I gave them something that nobody else could. The younger generation is looking at your work and they're becoming inspired to be creative in their own way, whether it's as maybe a D&D player now that, you know, you're on this show, they'll know that you're an amazing D&D GM and player as well as an author of this amazing series too. Maybe even inspire them in some way, shape or form. How can they inspire the generation that follows them? It's worth going for. I came from a generation of how I was raised was you didn't, you got a job, you paid your bills, you didn't bring attention to yourself. I tried to do different with my kids. I think I did. They're both amazing people. My son is actually 21 today and he is an art major. And my daughter is 25 and a very successful, considering she's only been out of college for two years, electrical engineer. It's worth going for it. If there's something you are passionate about, yeah, there might be times you have to work jobs you don't like to pay the bills. That doesn't mean you have to never do the one thing you truly love to do. If your life was a D&D campaign, comic, or book, what would its title be? And what would its soundtrack be? Soundtrack is easy. I've got an entire list on Spotify called Thea's List that I constantly update that is, that's what gets played. And, you know, honestly, there is a lot of me in Thea. She is an embodiment of all my anxieties. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that fear that nobody would ever accept me for who I am. So, you know, I I got to do that already. That's sort of fun. <laughs> yeah, it it it'd be the it'd be this. Well, uh, Cam, I do hate to say it, but that ends this particular episode of Two Geeks Talking. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, it was fun. We have to do this again. Definitely, for sure. <laughs> then I'll be able to tell you who my favorite character is. <laughs> <laughs> but then you'll at least get book two to read, and mm-hmm. I true. may have, may or may not have done something nasty in there. Uh-uh. Ooh, spoilers! <laughs> <laughs> Before I let you go, where can we find you? How can we support you? Of course, where can we find this amazing series? And anything um, else you'd like to promote? Well, tomorrow on Facebook, my publisher, Creative James Media, is doing an online virtual launch party for book one. And so you just go to Facebook, um, find Creative James Media page. It should be 3 Eastern, noon Pacific. And we're going to be doing some giveaways. I'm going to do some readings out of the book. Um, I am on Twitter and Facebook under KM Warfield Books. I'm also on a place called Counter Social as KM Warfield Books. Love that place. It is it is an amazingly troll-free alternative to Twitter. Um, 
do have an Instagram. I just don't do it very often. You know, do not do TikTok. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a lot of places. You can always email me at kmwarfieldbooks at gmail.com. The books are everywhere. They're going to be Barnes and Noble. They're going to be Smashwords. There's going to be um, Amazon. So Apple Books, just about everywhere that you can find an ebook or a print book. That's a legitimate source. Don't get me started on the uh, pirates. Um, or the people who decide, well, I'll go use it, do a pirate site. And if I like it, then I'll go buy it. Because 90% of the time, they still don't go buy it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now if you in if anybody really likes book one and wants to have a lot of an early access, um, will be they can email me because I am always looking for people for the street team or arc readers, advanced review copies um for books two and three. So you can email me and ask about those and I can give you more details and then you get the books early. Good stuff. <laughs> excuse me well like i said that ends this particular episode of two geeks talking you could of course find this interview and a thousand plus others on our website tgtmedia.com or two geeks talking.com that's the word two not the number two website's going through some issues currently that's why i redirect people to our youtube channel <laughs> youtube.com forward slash c forward slash tgt media and of course the podcast is back after 13 or so years which you can find at two geeks talking.podbean.com but it's actually available on your favorite streaming services like Spotify and a bunch of others. And as I say every week, everyone has a story to tell. It's up to me to help bring that out. Thanks for listening and watching on Two Geeks Talking.